Welcome to Presence Church's Sermon of the Week. We are so excited to share this powerful word with you. Oh my goodness, I'm overwhelmed this morning. I usually don't say that after worship because um, it's common for pastors to say it, but I am overwhelmed. Father, we just love you. Lord, we love you. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Wow, Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Lord, we regard everything else as dung compared to knowing you. <laughs> All the things the world seeks after is dung compared to you. It's dung compared to you. Lord, you're so much better, infinitely better. <laughs> Oh, wow. Just put your hands up and say, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> yeah, come on, church. Oh, Jesus. How am I going to do this? Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's all dung compared to you, Jesus. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, it's been a long time since I've preached a message and I felt completely overwhelmed. I don't know how we're going to do this, God. My heart, it literally just, it just feels like, I don't know, like a sponge, you know? <laughs> You just touch it and just poof, water coming out. Oh, Lord. <laughs> if this is your first time to church, oh, I want to say welcome. If you're not a Christian and you're like, what is happening? I just want to say Jesus is really good and he touches hearts. Oh, my gosh. You got a Bible. Wow, I feel like a I feel like a professor right now. <laughs> <Woo! Yeah. laughs> uh, I'm going in between crying and laughing. <laughs> this is like semi embarrassing, but really good. Welcome to church. Oh my gosh. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. Wow. I was asked to talk about the Holy Spirit. I heard, I heard we've been talking about the Holy Spirit the last couple of weeks. If you haven't noticed, I haven't been here. <laughs> um, I was gone. Um, two weeks ago, we went to Isla Vista, and it's in Santa Barbara. And we got to minister to them. It was quite different. Usually we do Jesus burgers, but that week, yeah, we got some in the back. Um, 
they weren't having Jesus burgers just yet. They just restarted it. Uh, so we just got to hang out with their church and got to preach on the Sunday there. And then last week I was on vacation. My lovely wife right here, Melissa, we were in Big Bear and just hanging out with her family. So I missed church. I missed all y'all. But I heard we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. I think Jesse was preaching. Yeah? yeah yes. So he asked me um, <clears throat> to keep the conversation going on the Holy Spirit and how we um, partner with him in seeing miracles happen in our lives. And I thought, wow, that sounds fun. I'm in it. You guys ready? First Corinthians chapter 12. Before we do, I want to say a couple of things. It's not really the sermon. and I kind of want to honor the, the rhythm of the church, but I just want to go there for a second. I've been meditating in Revelation chapter 3. And I felt like this whole morning we've been worshiping, and I feel like it was... I felt like we were living in that book right there during worship. I don't know if you've ever read it, but to me, it was like living in it for a second. And in chapter 3... Jesus is talking to the churches, uh, chapter 2 and 3. But in chapter 3 specifically, we actually had a Bible study the other night. We grabbed um, about 12 people from in here, and we were studying these verses. But there's a church. Shall I just go there real quick? We're going to go there real quick. This is so good. I just got to do it. If you really want to know how to walk in the Holy Ghost, we're going to get there. I just got to say this. First Revelation chapter 3 says, verses 18 to 29, y'all go home and read that later. We're not going to read it all right now. The church is to Theatira. And when the Lord says these things, this church is like the perfect image of um, the church in America. Okay? In the Bible, he says, write these letters to seven churches, and it was symbolic for the whole church. And it was only seven churches specifically in Turkey, so it wasn't all the churches. But he gives one message to one of the churches, and this this city was extremely wealthy, very opulent, overwhelmingly opulent. And and, um, it was in this place that the church needed to to respond to the things that were going on around them. In some churches, they're going through persecution. In some churches, there's temple prostitution and all kinds of crazy stuff. In this church, there's just a lot of money everywhere. And what he says to them is really interesting. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was looking at four, three, 14. This is to Laodicea. I meant three. 14 to to 22. See that? Okay. So as he's talking to them, um, he says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. It's interesting. These people had taken their relationship with Jesus, and yet they had gotten so consumed with, by the way, I'm not saying this specifically to our church. I'm saying it to, I'm saying this is the culture we're in. And so it's something to be thinking about. Um, But when we become quote-unquote rich, he says that you've said, I am rich and I'm in need of nothing. What happens with money, money can actually become like a god to us. 
where we completely rely and trust in it and say, because we've got it or we're getting it. Some of us can even go into the deception of riches. And the Bible says, Jesus says that it will choke out the fruit in your life because we think that when we get enough, our problems will be satisfied and taken care of. But he says, because you say I'm rich and I'm in need of nothing. Woo, destination's on the right. (laughs) Because you say I'm rich and in need of nothing. You've become poor and naked, miserable and blind. This was a church who had Jesus, yet they put him outside the door and then they lock the door and he's banging on the door saying, I want to come in. Money has, money has that kind of power. If we receive that, it's funny, they're not even acknowledging money's my God, money's my God. They're not saying that. They didn't say money, I'm, I'm worshiping mammon. What they're saying is I'm rich and I'm in need of nothing. That is in essence saying Money's my God. What's interesting, they kick him out of their own houses, okay? They've taken off the, 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 the garment of righteousness. They've com- they basically rejected him in this, and yet he still calls them his church, and he's still banging on the door. So I just really wanted to say that. Don't do it, you know? Just keep letting him in. How merciful Jesus is, by the way. But this, this world, there's like a, there's a pulse specifically, and we're in the wealthiest area of the wealthiest nation in the entire world, right? And I think it's important for us to realize we're always in need of Jesus. And may we be a church in the center of all of it, saying, Jesus, you're welcome in here. Lord, we need you more than the almighty dollar. Because that's just unrighteous mammon. <laughs> okay, let's go to Corinthians Side note. It says in 12, it says, Now about the spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. I want to start with, you know, the ultimate spiritual gift you can receive is the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the ultimate spiritual gift you can ever receive. Yay. He's a person. He's a manifestation of God Almighty. He lives here. He's the spirit of Jesus, the Bible says in Acts. He's the God of glory who hovered over the waters at creation. Through him, all things are formed. Yay. How fun is that? And he lives in us. He lives in us. He lives in us. He is the spirit of holiness. You're never going to be holy without the Holy Spirit. That's a, every other religion is just self-righteousness. You know? <laughs> You're never going to be holy without the Holy Spirit. The, the blood of Jesus was paid for something that you might receive a gift, and that's him that you might become a temple of God, that we all also might be like living stones put together for the inhabitation of God, that God might dwell in our midst and be here and talk to us and walk with us. If Christianity is just about a bunch of doctrines, I'm walking out the door. You know? I ain't got time for that. I got time for doctrine when it leads me into the realization of what Jesus has paid for and brings me into closer relationship and breaks off the lies of the devil, the father of lies. I'm down for doctrine. 
But when it's just doctrine and it's not relationship, I just got to say you've walked away from your first love. When I say first love, it doesn't mean the first person you loved. It means the head of a river, your first love, that all other springs of love flow from that love. You're never called to leave that. Jesus has to be your first love. If he's not, you're in dire straits. Yeah? Okay. Keep going. So Jesus dies for us. We get the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in us. He comes to be upon us. We've talked about this. I I think that um, uh, Pastor Jesse was hitting a little bit on baptism of the Holy Spirit. Am I correct? Some of us that were here. Basically what that is for those that weren't, or just to add on to maybe things that he said. I don't know if he said this or not, but... What that is, is basically an anointing. It just means that God's upon you for a specific work, a specific ministry. But the anointing, the ministry, the power, the, the ministry of God that he has for your life to, only comes upon the children of God. So Jesus dies for you to make you a child of God, and then he puts his spirit upon you, and he has a work for you to do. Are we following? Okay. It's not that you get, oh, bro, ooh, I got the gift of uh, you know, healing, you got the gift of tongues, you know, John's got the gift of prophecy, and Eric is the phenomenal uh, spiritual discerner. And Margaret's got the gift of faith, everybody else is lacking. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's, we've got the Holy Ghost, and he wills and does through each of us according to his will and pleasure. <laughs> You guys follow what I just said? It's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not thinking, I got the healing, I got the prophecy. What I'm thinking is, I got the Holy Spirit, and he does all those things. Amen. Therefore, in chapter 14, if you look at it, look, chapter 14. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. It doesn't say, hey, only some of you can prophesy. It says to the whole church, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. How could you do that if he's only given you certain ones? Yeah. He's, he, he's given you the one gift, and he's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to do wonderful things through us, around us, right? But you know what's greater than all the miracles? It's a four-letter word. It starts with L, ends with E. Love. <laughs> That's, it's literally greater. You could have the faith to move mountains. You don't have love. You're absolutely worthless. <laughs> Man, you can pray for all the blind people and see all their eyes open, yet you don't have love. And it's not going to do the effective work that he has and he wants it to do. Because there's a bigger thing about your heart, too, than even more than the ministry that you do around you. God's always more concerned with the inside of the cup than the outside. <laughs> and this guy, I love miracles, signs and wonders. God is always more concerned with your inside than your outside. The miracles, signs, wonders, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the overflow. They're holy things. We should never forbid those things. There are some people who do that. They literally put a clamp on the work of God. 
And say, oh, you can't do that, brother. The Bible says we could do it. You know? Wow. Some of us are like, well, I don't know. Tongues are weird. I agree. Just do it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. One time I asked God, I said, God, I heard a guy praying in tongues around me. And I had been prayed over, and people had prayed over me for the Holy Spirit to come on me when I was a Christian and everything. But <clears throat> I remember they were speaking in tongues around me, and I, and I said, God, I want to be able to do that. He was, he was just praying under his breath. It was a prayer meeting, you know. He wasn't being obnoxious or anything. Yabba dabba doing. He's just praying under tongue, uh, and, you know. And I was like, God, I, I want to be able to do that. And the Lord said, Micah, you can I started speaking tongues, and I literally felt like I was completely wasted. I don't know if that's like a proper way of describing something from the pulpit, but it is true, and I'd rather be honest. I literally felt completely, I mean, I used to be a drug addict and stuff, so that was, that's kind of my way of describing, I don't know. I was completely gone, plastered. I got up, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I I was tripping out. I walk up these stairs, and my friend sees me, and he's like, Micah, it's like you're glowing. And I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> if you've received the Holy Spirit in your life, guess what? You've got the tongue of God. Would you ever get a guy without a tongue? You ever going to get God without his tongue? Think about it. Okay. Is this offending some people? Holy Spirit is in you. The guy who speaks in tongues dwells in you. Is that simple enough? It's not like I got the Holy Ghost, but I also need some other special tongue to fall from heaven for me to speak in tongues. He, he, he is. He, that's, you guys know that tongues is actually a sign for a powerful witness, for you to be a powerful witness for God? Kind of like, you know, one of the gifts, by the way, is healing. Or sorry, I don't want to talk about healing yet. I want to talk about faith. One of the gifts is faith. Faith. Did you know, if you're a Christian, you're all supposed to have faith. (laughs) But yet there's a supernatural unction that the Holy Spirit can bring through us that ignites faith in the people around us. Do we ever pray for it? We should. God, would you give us some powerful, supernatural faith that just gets ignited in us, that goes way beyond our ability, our understanding, our level of faith that we've maybe cultivated in our long, beautiful, wonderful Christian lives. Would you give us a faith that goes way beyond it, that can literally ignite our friends, our family members, different people to know God's really real and he really, really likes us. He's really alive and he's coming again soon. Yeah. Should I go there, Jesus? A couple weeks ago, I prayed over a guy, delivered him from a demon. You know, wow. Hmm. Let's just thank Jesus for a second. Lord, we just love you. I thank you for church. (laughs) 
Okay, I'm going to go there. I heard this message. I heard this message. I loved it. It reminded me of a story in the Bible, which it's from a story in the Bible. But the story is Paul is on a missions trip and he goes and he's on this island and there's a campfire and they're all around it and this snake comes out and bites him in the hand. You guys ever read this story? It's in Acts, I believe, chapter 28. The snake bites him in the, on the hand and this was a poisonous snake, not some corn snake, some poisonous snake. Bites you and you die kind of snake. <clears throat> the Bible says he took it and shook it off in the fire. <laughs> I heard this guy preach it. He's like, some of y'all just need to shake it off. Uh, isn't that good? You know, Christians don't get demon possessed. I want to say something. You guys follow? But, but, <laughs> but don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Do we understand the difference? One time I had a dream. I was in a house, and the house was called Casa del Rey, which means house of the king in the dream. And in the window, there was a dragon's claw through the window, and I took a big old sword, and I cut off the finger, took it outside to the gutter, and I threw it in the fire. <laughs> Don't give the devil a foothold on your life. There ain't no demon dwelling in there with Jesus. Don't give a foothold. Are you following well, the snake came out and bit him. And some of us just got to shake it off right into the fire. Sometimes we let the lies, he's the father of lies, and we let it just kind of just do, 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 do. bug us, bug us, bug us. You just got to shake it off. <laughs> Throw it in the fire. Let it go. Stop dwelling on it. Come on. Discernment of spirits. You get to recognize even more. You know, we should all have some discernment in our lives if you're a Christian, just like we should all have faith. <laughs> if you're a Christian, we should have some measure of discernment. When something's off, something's weird, something's funky, or something's good, and something's blessed, and something's wonderful, we should have some level of discernment. Sometimes there's things that go on in our life and we find ourselves in certain types of cycles and you're so caught up with it, you got to stop and realize what the thing is that's messing with you. You go, oh, this is actually a lie that's bugging me, that's messing with me, and it's literally, it's just all I'm thinking about, rather than just moving forward in whatever God's saying or whatever I feel free to do. Are we following what I'm saying right now? So it, sometimes if you find yourself in a cycle, you got to stop. I say, God, let me see how you see right now. Let me hear how you hear right now. Let me recognize the truth. What is this thought? What is this message? We got to be praying for that. Sometimes in the church, if we're praying for that, God might just give you some discernment to help your brother and sister. You might not even know you're doing it. You just go up and say something nice and they go, whoa, that just set me free because the truth sets us free. Oh, Lord. My heart is still like a squeegee thing. Is that the wrong word? I'm thinking of a... Uh, that's not, that's not, not a squeegee. I'm thinking of a... what? A, not a sponge either. I was thinking of something different. I'm thinking of, you know, I'm a swimmer. I, I used to play water polo. There's these old kind of towels. They're not towels, but they're like towels, and they soak up all the water. A chamois! Mm. I'm like a chamois right now. 
Shoot. Guys, this is the most unorthodox preaching. <laughs> you know, you got to be like that, though. What does it look like for us to sit in the, th- in the throne of God and just say, God, would you just saturate me? <laughs> Dude, everything else is dung compared to his presence, guys. I know we got to keep going on the gifts right now, but I just got to say, everything is dung compared to knowing him. We want to know all those other things. If he ain't in the house, it's all worthless. <laughs> if it's just some religious act, it's so pointless. Uh, are we following what I'm saying? It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. It's got, Jesus has got to be involved in our lives. We can literally be the church and not have Jesus involved in our lives. Wow. Let's read a little bit. Verse 22. Tongues are meant for a sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers. While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So then, if the whole church gathers together and all of you are speaking in tongues, and outsiders or those who are not gifted in spiritual matters or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Wait a second. Let's unpack the Bible for a second. He just said that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And then he says, if unbelievers come in and see you speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're crazy. I I just, good. I just want to add to the confusion for a second before I move on. I'm going to come right back, but let's just keep reading. (laughs) But if you all prophesy and an unbeliever comes in, he is convicted by all and he's called to account by all because of the things that are being said. The secrets of his heart are laid bare, and so falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. Okay, Paul, let's back up. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for believers. Tongues are a sign for the unbelievers. But if you speak in tongues, people coming by, they're going to think you're crazy. But then if you prophesy for the unbeliever, they're going to get saved. Does that not sound confusing? Why are tongues a sign for unbelievers? Because tongues show the state of humanity to God. Completely ignorant, not hearing him, not understanding him. It's a sign. It's a sign. The prophecy lets you understand why. Do we understand? Therefore, tongues can be interpreted. The tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Why? Because it started way back at the Tower of Babel, where God separated their tongues. Yes? So it's a sign for unbelievers. But that doesn't mean we should just go yabba-dabba-doo in everyone's face. Although, although I have done it a couple times, and it's worked. So I don't know what you do with that. Sometimes you got to be willing to look like really weird. 
dude. Okay. But if we prophesy, the secrets of our heart are laid bare <clears throat> so that falling on our faces, we'll worship God, declaring that God's really here. Here we go. We'll go to verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three and have someone interpret. I just want to say a few things here. I want to hit on a few points here because sometimes we read the Bible and then and then we become like the masters. And then what we do is we go, oh man, this church is doing it totally wrong. I don't want you to be thinking in those ways right now, okay? First of all, he's not giving an ordinance to the church that they specifically need to do things a specific way. If he did and made a tradition like that, every church for history from then would have been doing it. Okay. What's he doing? He's wanting to help them. He's wanting to help a church that's really, really having some fun. And he's wanting them to do it in a way where we're conscious of other people and loving other people and flowing so powerfully. Not limiting, but magnifying the fullness of what it's meant for. So he sees a church where they're all speaking in tongues and he says, he says, hey, Let's do it a certain way where all this interpretation is happening so that this sign for unbelievers when they're coming in can have its full work, its full effect, and there can be some prophecy involved in it so that they're not just living in that place of not understanding God, but because of the gospel, they can come into some revelation and understand what he's saying to them. So therefore, he gives them an idea. Why don't you guys do it in pairs, and why don't you prophesy in that way? By the way, they didn't have microphones back then, so things were just quite a bit different. Are we following? Okay, okay. Let's move on past tongues. How y'all feeling? Read verse 32 with me. For the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You shouldn't say, God made me do it. <laughs> the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet. Woo! God might give you a word to do something, but you better make sure number one is really of God. I know a guy who punched somebody and that person was healed. You know what I'm saying? I know a guy who took a hot dog and rolled it on somebody, and the the dude was completely healed of a shoulder injury that he had. He rolled a hot dog on a dude. Is that not weird? I'm just saying, you roll a hot dog on me, and I don't get healed? I'm going to be like, bro, I smell now like a hot dog. Not cool. So, I'm just saying, I'm not saying don't do wacky stuff. I'm just saying the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and you have a place to engage with God, to impact people, to talk to people. Does it make sense? God can overwhelm you, and you can be taken out, but do you know that your heart wasn't part of that? Like, you came before him. You're laying before him. You're receiving from him. There's a co-laboring with God. You don't walk around like a robot once you get the Holy Ghost. You know what I'm saying? He actually made Adam and Eve not to be like robots. There's always a crazy level of personal choice in walking with Jesus. When it says the spirit of the prophet subject to the prophet, we have to understand it's not, well, maybe one day, maybe one day God will do some miracles around me and I'm just going to keep doing whatever I'm doing. The truth here is you, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. What does that mean? 
It means engage this Holy Ghost. It means engage the presence of God. It means pray for people. You ain't going to see anybody healed if you don't pray for them. Come on. Are we following? Some people, there's literally, there's lies out there where people will put, make God the author, not only of sin, but of sickness. We're going to go there. They'll make God the author of both sin and sickness. It's actually a sliver of the church. It started around 1600s. It's only some part of the church. But there are specific doctrines that this has come from. But it has actually impacted American Christianity. Really interesting. Fascinating to actually learn about all that. But regardless, it's a lie. God's not the author of sickness. He's not the author of sin. If you have an injury or you have a sickness, I'm not saying the devil is personally behind every single act. Okay. You, you, you're walking down the street, you don't see the, pot, the pothole, you trip in it and break your leg. The devil didn't push you into the pothole, you just tripped. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay, okay. But because there's pain, because there's brokenness, because there's death, that is a result of the work of the devil. Not the, that's not that life where there's brokenness and death, the devil's the defiler, Christ is the healer. Don't flip it. Yeah? You know, God doesn't lead us into sin. That's why you pray, lead us out of temptation. Are we following? It's really important to know that because some of us think, well, God's giving me this to make me do this, this, and this. You would never do that to your kid. Did you know that in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, there was a church completely doing prostitutes. They were doing some wackadoodle stuff, some weird stuff. I'm saying, could you imagine having a spouse and then they're just, you know, living with somebody else, doing other things, and yet you're so merciful, so kind, you actually say, hey, you've done these really positive things too, but, you know, you're doing this. The level of God's mercy on a church that was completely adulterous against him is ridiculous how much mercy he has. He never says, you're not my church. He never says any of that. He just says, hey, you're, to- you're tolerating this teaching, which is allowing prostitution in my church. It's really jacked up. I do have some good things about what you're doing. How- it's crazy. Even like, It's crazy God has the, 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 the purpose. He literally takes some time to say some positives. You know, but regardless, he says, but you're doing all this really, really weird stuff. He says, if you don't, if you don't repent, I'm going to cast this teacher and those that are participating in this on a sickbed. Is that a weird passage? What does that mean? It means I'm going to give them over to the things that they're doing. Just like a person who is choosing to go down a road of sin, you don't stop being his church. But if you want to keep going down that road, eventually God will be like, okay. He'll still knock on the door as long as he's got, let me back in, right? But God's, God's not the author of the sin. He's not the author of the sickness. He, he is the fount of life, not the fountain of death. Okay. Well, we're really going there, guys. We got five minutes. I want to say two more things. It's chapter 13. Y'all should read these chapters, by the way, 12 through 14. They're phenomenal. Chapter 13, 
If I have not love, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels and I have not love, I've become only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You don't want to be a noisy gong. That's just not fun to be around. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge, if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it does me no good at all. Do you know that you can actually give to the poor and sacrifice your life but it not be in love? Isn't that wild? Because love, love is about the inside of the cup. So when we're ever pressing into the Holy Spirit and understanding what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives all around us, and when we, when we become people who are going to be obedient to the Bible, and we say, I'm going to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, or I'm going to say, God, I would love to see you come in power and to literally reverse um, the work of the devil. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God, I'd love to see these things happen all around me. But we can never lose the full picture that the most important thing is your heart. The inside. The most important thing. Presence, walking with the presence of God, living with the person of God, communing with him, talking to him, telling him how you really feel, taking off the mask and being transparent to him. You could, we could give. You guys know the Pharisees gave a lot, right? They tithed everything, even to like their plants in their garden. They gave. Yet Jesus says, you're children of the devil. Whoa. That's a whoa statement. <laughs> Our hearts are what matter to him. From the issues of our heart, so the issues of our life spring forth, right? The things that we do, all the things, and how we care for people, how we pray for people. What do our relationships look like? What do our marriages look like? What do our friendships look like? How are our conversations and all these things? Is the fount of love being sprung up in our soul and in our heart so that we can love those around us? Oh my God, we all with me? You're all so quiet looking at me. If you're trying to love the person next to you, sometimes you might have a really hard time doing it. Like, oh, I'm just, oh, you bug me. Anybody ever been there? Am I the only human in the room? <laughs> if this person only stopped doing that, then I would be free to do this. Hmm. What we got to tap into is there's a spring. There's a well that never runs dry. There's a, there's a country song that says, the bottom of every bottle is dry. But the well of God's never dry, guys. It's never dry. It's never dry. You might, in your life and times, feel lacking. 
and feel a need. You might feel frustrated. You might feel overwhelmed. When new things come into your life and you're having to do a new thing, you might just be like, ugh. I don't know how well everybody else does with transitions, but sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I have a hard time with transitions. Sometimes I'm like, I'd be a baby, you know, and to God, you know, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm having a hard time with this. Uh. And he's like, he just looks at me, smiles. And then I just, I know that I'm seated with him. And I know that I've got power in the Holy Ghost. Jake said something really powerful. He came up here and said, Jesus laid down at our feet. I don't know if you know it, but Jesus washed the disciples' feet. They didn't have shoes like us. They didn't have roads like us. Feet were nasty. And Jesus is going, king, the king of glory. The king. Ah. The one of all majesty laying his life down at your feet? The apostle says, no way. Says, Peter, if I don't do this, you have no part in me. He laid himself at our feet so that we might even be able to have a crown, let alone cast it at his feet. Are we following? Whoa. The king of glory became so humbled, so humbled, so that you might be lifted up. So that you might be brought into glory. He went to the dirt so that you could shine with his glory. Yeah. And he wants to wash it. He cleanses it. Where is our hearts at? Sometimes when we talk about the ministry of the gifts in the church, like maybe past 50, 60 years, there's been some strains where there can be, there can be people when they talk about the gifts, it's like, a, it's like I'm up here on this pedestal. I'm the operator of the gifts. And, and are you guys following with what I'm saying right fast? When we move in the gifts, you don't, to minister to a person, you, you, you don't sit on the throne and look down on them. <laughs> you go wash some feet. You go love them. You become really personal, really kind, really helpful. So those are the few things I just want to share today. Guys, God really loves us. Don't let Jesus be kicked out of your house. Or should I say, don't kick him out of your house. Don't become so satisfied in the things of the world that you have no need of God. Don't become so satisfied in the things of the world that you have no need of God. The world pursues things. Jesus says, don't be like them. Pursue righteousness and his kingdom. And all these things the Gentiles seek after will be added unto you. That's a good, that's, that's nice. 
You know, God doesn't want you to, to literally be in lack. Jesus wasn't in lack. When they had lack and they didn't have that much food, you know Jesus wasn't in lack? He multiplied bread and fish. Yeah. I pray for a church. I pray that we would be so filled with faith that when you're presented with opportunities, when you're presented with circumstances that you think God's not coming through, you see them as opportunities. Where are you at, God? Why is this? What? Where? God, I, I'm, I'm going through this. I don't have this. I don't have this. What? You have God Almighty, the Holy Ghost, the worker of miracles in your midst, and he wants to do miracles. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that love is the most important thing. I pray that there were just little nuggets today, Lord God, that would go deep in our hearts, that would just free us up to operate in your gifts. But more importantly, God, I pray that we'd operate with you, that we would commune with you, Lord, that you'd teach us to pray, Lord, that we would be walking in truth, that we wouldn't put the work of the devil upon your hands, Lord, that we would be filled with your love, that we would go to you as the source of love, Lord Jesus, and love each other. I want to say one last thing. The church, the church in our day has completely done away with repentance. That's really bad. It's like, it's like in the book of Revelation, he comes, to, uh, he comes to Christians and he's like, you know, different Christians are going through different kind of stuff sometimes. And some of them are doing just fine. So it's not like everybody's got to repent. I'm not saying that either. Okay? But I just want to say a couple things. When he comes to them, there's still his church. And I feel like there's been a season where people go, well, we're still his church. And there's almost like this no need to repent because we're just his church. You get what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, you're still his church. You're not repenting so you can get saved again. But sometimes we've got to repent so that we can come into that union with him, that connection with him. We can let go of the idols and these things that overtake us, that literally consume our mind. You've got to repent from that stuff. God, we follow what I'm saying? Okay. I love you guys. I'm done. Love you. Love you. Can I get the prayer team? We're going to have the prayer team up here. Um, if you need prayer, I would love for you. I think you should come up and get some prayer. <laughs> if you need to talk about anything I said that really bugged you, come talk to me. Amen. Hope you enjoyed this week's Sunday sermon. We pray you experience all God has for your life.